This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, sponsored by Soundring. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's podcast is brought to you by Title Fight and their critically acclaimed record Hyperview. You know these guys. I interviewed Ned, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. Great band. Love what they're doing. Thank you to Anti Records for jumping on as a sponsor. Listen to the record. You can buy it on iTunes. You can stream it through any of your favorite streaming service providers. And check out the record Hyperview. It's really, really, really good. I promise. Today's podcast is also sponsored by the amazing people at Loot Crate. So Loot Crate is an amazing subscription box service that ships you incredible gifts. Like, if you are a pop culture fanatic, if you also like, you know, video games and all that sort of stuff, trust me, this is the subscription box for you. You can visit lootcrate.com backslash words and enter the code words to save three bucks off of your initial subscription. They have amazing stuff from huge licensed properties like, you know, Walking Dead, Legend of Zelda, all that sort of stuff. This month, Star Wars. That's all I'm going to say. So visit lootcrate.com backslash words and you'll save $3 off your first box. It's like having a best friend that ships you the coolest stuff imaginable. So do it up. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, ever-present to bring you some interesting and intimate conversations with people in and around the independent music scene that are doing cool stuff, have done cool stuff, continue to do cool stuff, and this guest is exactly that, Colin Frangisettio. I've never said his last name out loud, so I'm probably butchering it, but uh, Colin, he plays in a band called Circus Survive, used to play in a band called This Day Forward, which is where I met him. Many a moon ago when our bands used to tour together and have a lot of fun times out on the road. So, um, yeah, I'll bring that conversation to you in a moment. A few uh, things out of the way. How, excuse me. How was, how was your holiday? I didn't, I didn't ask you. I apologize. It was good? Awesome. I'd love to hear that. Mine was really good. Got to eat a ton of veggie turkey and mashed potatoes and uh, stuff my face with uh, things that, you know, realistically just made my belly swell and swell and swell the point of where i'm like i ate too much food and i hope everybody had that nice warm feeling of just a you know being a glutton because realistically that's kind of what this holiday is all about <laughs> you know removing the political ramifications that uh, obviously many people have uh, issues with uh, really we just eat a whole lot of food and that's kind of it so i hope that you uh enjoyed that and i hope that you got to spend some time with the people that you actually care about you know so and if you got to spend time with people you didn't care about. Hopefully that was painless and minimal. So um, I have to also mention the beautiful, beautiful people at Jabberjaw Media. Uh, they have launched a podcast network, which this show is a part of. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, I want to highlight some of the shows that are a part of that network as well. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is increase awareness of all each other's shows to be able to... Did you hear that burp? I apologize. That just kind of snuck out of me. But... We want to bring some awareness to what's happening out there in the audio medium. And um, one show in particular I want to make you privy to is a show called Bad Christian. So I, I know some of you immediately write the show off because it says Christian and you're like, oh, I don't want to listen to like religious jibber jabber. It's not that. It's basically it's my good friend Matt Carter who plays in a band called Emery and one of his fellow bandmates and one of their other good friends. 
who basically just kind of chop it up. They hang out, they talk, they also uh, have a guest on, and they have really, really hard-hitting conversations with these people. Ask them about uncomfortable things, and uh, obviously spirituality and religion is obviously a large part of the show, but great dialogue. I couldn't recommend it any higher, so please dive into The Bad Christian Show, and thank you to Jabberjaw Media, and thank you to Soundering for making this network launch as cool as it has. So hopefully you're all checking that stuff out. And, um, yeah, so like I said, Colin, very close friend. He's been a, a guest that I've had circled on my, my to-do list for quite some time, and finally we were able to sync up. It was, uh, I really appreciate it when people who I'm speaking to kind of paint the visual of what, what's happening with them. And he was like, I'm parked in a parking lot in front of a Barnes & Noble that I spent a lot of time in uh, here on the East Coast when we were, you know, writing records and doing all that sort of stuff when he needed his own alone time, so... I appreciate that, you know? So here's Colin in a car and me getting really intimate and deep with him, and uh, it was a great conversation. So I'll talk to you more after the the end of the conversation and kind of wrap things up in a bow. So here is Colin. Uh, I have a very funny memory of obviously the uh, very first Take It This Day Forward tour. Where, of course. Where you guys hauled ass across the country to meet us. Yep. Miss, I think you missed one show because you had a van problems. But then yep. you basically showed up in Ventura or Thousand Oaks, that general area. Yep. And, and like literally loaded straight from the van after driving for whatever, 50 some odd hours. Driving, yes. Yeah. And then loading all of your equipment inside to the stage and it was one of yeah. those things where like all i knew was was mike and vadim and so then meeting the rest of you for like four seconds it was just like oh let's see how this goes and then you guys played an awesome set it was just one of those things where i was like wow that's hard to do um but those it was uh very conducive to playing um uh, those songs i mean just getting out of the the van and just wanting to just totally kill people. We're just so frustrated. It was the biggest clusterfuck of like a week. And then culminating to that moment of getting out of the van. And I remember I even, I'm pretty sure I didn't even, I just jumped on someone else's drums. I don't know. Yep. Uh, But yeah, I just, that was hysterical. <laughs> it was. I mean, it's definitely indicative of the times that we were touring back then. But it was very. Uh, but the, do you uh, reflecting on those times? Like, uh, do you do you look back uh, like with nostalgia, or do you look back? Are there certain times where it's just like, oh yeah, I'm glad that's in the past. I'm glad that happened. But I'm, you know, I don't want to relive that in some capacity. Oh man, um, I think maybe a little bit of both. I, you know, I, I really. I think I've reflected pretty deeply uh, on all those experiences, um, you know, throughout the last decade or so, uh, being in Circa, it's really very, very clear to me that, um, we would never have existed if it weren't for this day forward. And, um, at least not in the capacity that we do exist. And, uh, you know, so many very important lessons and, experiences that happened um within this day forward and just you know really i mean i can trace it all the way back you know it's very very strange but even before this day forward um crucial people just meeting them and getting into hardcore and punk rock and stuff and um and then just uh yeah just really i feel like 
being inspired by the right people and how they did things and a certain kind of mindset I think carries through all the way to now. Um, you know, even being in a band that obviously we're not really part of a hardcore scene. I don't even really know what a hardcore scene is anymore or, or any of that stuff, but it's very, yeah, I still, I feel like we still use and, and I still use like the, a lot of the mentalities that we used back then. Yeah. No, that's, and I think that's a really important point because like whether or not you feel particularly connected to whatever the scene you grew up with, it's the, it's the principles and the foundation that you build that, Mm -hmm. you know, lead you through, out life that you just like you're like dude yeah. if you didn't trip across this when you're you know whatever 14 15 like you never would have known that you could build this stuff on your own absolutely yeah so were you uh, I, I don't know where you were born and raised were you born in the philly area or where were you where you yeah um i i was born in abington pennsylvania and that's like you know right right outside of uh philly and kind of like bordering on the suburbs area um but it's still kind of within that that northeast philly um range and um yeah and i grew up this kind of in bucks county which is like right outside of uh philadelphia and um my mom worked in in northeast philadelphia so i I found myself going there quite a bit and then even when i was very young i like um you know my mom would drop me off at the babysitters at different different um, people like watched me and my brother um, when we were younger. So I spent a lot of time in Northeast Philadelphia when I was really, really young. And then um, as I grew up, I guess became a bit more like suburban centric to like high school and all that stuff. But um, always kind of felt very part of the city uh, in my young life, just taking the train to go see shows and stuff all the time. And spent probably like you know five days a week down there at like once a certain age hit i was just down there like most of the time seeing shows Mm -hmm. yeah i remember being struck by like how um that entire area like you obviously every time that we came through and and stayed with you know the shaws and like seeing that general uh area it was just always so surprising to me where it was like you know, obviously it was just like one giant suburb, but at the same time, it's like there was obviously a ruralness about it that I was just like, I don't know. It was very, um, I guess, idyllic in a way that I just couldn't really, um, being from the suburbs in Southern California, it was just kind of like, oh, this is like what a suburb, I guess, is meant to be. Not everyone stacked on top of each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a lot of, uh, especially back then. I mean, there was a lot of space and a lot of like, you know, a lot of nature and, um, but you could find yourself smack dab in the middle of like a, 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 you know, a town square situation really fast. But, you know, nature and like open fields are never far away, which is pretty nice. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so what yeah. was your family structure like? I know you mentioned your brother and your mother, but uh, who was who was all in the house? Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, I had a really great childhood. Um my mom and dad, they're still together. And, um, and then I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. And then I have a younger sister who is, I think, well, like maybe like eight years younger than me, 10 years. Um, but you know, I think, uh, yeah, we, we had a great, we had a great childhood just like when I was really, really young, it was just very, uh, just totally, you know, like a kid's, kids paradise like just my brother and i having a a sibling so close in age you know i always had somebody to play with and um we had 
you know, at, at a certain point started having a lot of kids in that were in the neighborhood too. So, you know, we just always had something to do. Um, I feel like we're just always outside, just like building forts and just being dirt balls, you know, like, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, the, was just, uh, it was a great time. What did your, uh, what did your parents do for a living? Um, well, my dad, uh, was, a he's a professor of psychology at a community college, um, probably, which is pretty insane. It's about two hours away from here, um, in Northampton is just like Bethlehem area. Um, so he would do a two hours, uh, two hour commute to and from his school, uh, probably four times a week. And then my mom was a social worker in Philadelphia, um, you know, working with families, uh, that have like a mental retardation and, um, you know, handicaps and then all the way to like just people that have just issues with at home. And, um, so she was like a kind of like in the field social worker, um, when I was really young and then she kind of like moved her way up. And even to this day, she still is like, she's like, uh, she kind of runs the joint at this point, you know, she doesn't really do, um, the, the hands-on stuff anymore, but, um, so yeah, that was really interesting. They're both coming from like a, a psychology background, um, very cerebral people. Um, that you, you, you saying that word literally took it out of my mouth because I was going to describe you as such a little bit later on in the interview. Oh, that's where, funny. Where you, yeah. cause you, and we could, you know, jump right into that, but it's like, you always struck me, um, obviously in the, the, the large amount of time we spent together on the road where you always struck me as a person who, I mean, obviously you were social and you know, you didn't uh, section yourself off from everybody, but you seem right. very co- comfortable, um, kind of, you know, being alone, but, the, and also being yes. in your own head, um, yeah. in ways that other people, I think, um, I basically, I identified with you on that because I also, I, I feel very comfortable with those same sort of thoughts. And so I was always like, oh yeah, Colin's on that level. So now I can see this sort of, you know, lineage of that where it's like, oh yeah, you can be comfortable doing this on your own. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's a great, uh, you know, that you took notice of that. I think, I think, as you would know, being someone who's similar, um, you know, that, that can be easily misinterpreted, uh, in a lot of ways. And I feel like there have been many times in my life where I've, I've been just, um, kind of like, you know, maybe labeled as like antisocial or even like, uh, you know, I don't know, grumpy or, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that is a lot of it just kind of, uh, in my own head and reflecting on a lot of just reflecting on things, especially in, in that kind of environment when you're just constantly moving from place to place and things are happening at such a rapid rate. It's, um, sometimes it just takes me a little bit to try to, I'm just trying to absorb everything and kind of like, uh, you know, catch up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You're very, that, no, that's true. Like you're very, um, uh, you, you're deliberate, like your actions definitely, um, uh, I guess it felt a certain weight to them where it's like, oh yeah, like Colin thought this through and like, this isn't, you know, um, extremely impulsive. I mean, everybody's impulsive to yeah. a certain extent, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I can see where you're coming from in regards to that, where it wasn't just a, you know, shoot from the hip 24 seven. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so then how did you, obviously being the sort of, you know, the, uh, the trailblazer in your family, as far as your, you know, brothers and sisters were concerned, how did, uh, yeah. you know, like independent music start to infiltrate you? Cause you know, usually it's like an older brother or sister that kind of shows it to you. So where'd you discover it? Yeah. 
Um, I think it was all, you know, it's just like that weird uh, trickle-down effect where it was like, uh, you know, at a very young age, my, my dad introduced us to rock and roll, and um, we were just obsessed with music. It was always playing. Like, it was almost like a very... I can remember um, in the summers especially it being a daily occurrence when my dad would just play records and my brother and I would just be flipping out, like jumping around and listening to stuff. And um, at a pretty young age, I I remember, I think my real introduction to like the concept of independent music and just that there was something to be like sought out and found um, happened ridiculously young age, uh, like in sixth grade, uh, I remember being over my friend's house and I had this total crush on his older sister and she was just so, she just seemed so cool to me. And I, um, you know, normally she was in and out of the house, like, you know, never even around. And I'd just be like, Oh my God, where's she going? Why isn't she hanging out with us? And, uh, (laughs) but I remember she had gotten grounded for sneaking out and going to a ween concert. And so she was, you know, kind of stuck hanging out with, uh, her younger brother and me. And she was like, just kind of like playing all this wild, weird alternative music. Um, and it was, she played me a bootleg recording that, that she had recorded, uh, at a bar of a Pearl Jam concert before 10 had ever even come out. And, uh, she's playing me this and they're like playing like, Dirty Frank and all these weird songs that didn't even wind up being on 10. But like, I was like, what is this? Like, this is amazing. And I, I was obsessed with it immediately. And I remember, you know, as soon as 10 came out, I bought the CD um, and, or maybe even a cassette. I can't remember. Um, I know, I know at one point I had both, but um, that was one of those weird times where you could, you're like, well, I don't have enough money for the, the CD. I'll just buy the cassette. And like, it right. didn't even matter at that point. It wasn't like a full on switch yet, but, uh, yeah. So I think that was pretty huge. Um, because she was already going to like, she was like underage and going to bar shows and stuff. And she wasn't doing it to like for the alcohol or anything like that. It was just her and her friends were obsessed with bands and, especially finding out about bands that weren't really big yet. And I thought that it was really cool that she had this thing that she had recorded herself of some band that eventually wound up being, you know, ginormous. And, um, that's so, I just love, I love that description because it's like so many of us can kind of point to these really random small moments where it's like there, there had to be like seven things that lined up in order for you to uh, be in the same room with her and playing stuff. That's just like, you know, like, I mean, ween is, well, not, I mean, obviously she wasn't playing you ween right away, but like the stuff was challenging, but you knew that it tickled something inside of you. It's so rad. Uh, which is so funny because just those two touchstones right there really like they splinter off like insanely from that point because um the pearl jam thing i I became obsessed with them and they became huge and then um like pearl jam's doing this tour and they did this thing where every single um city they hit they took over the radio station at night afterwards and they dj'd and they played whatever they wanted and like when you know like that's where i got turned on to like you know everything dc like fugazi minor threat like 
you know, bad brains, like just all that stuff was being played on those pirate radio shows that they were doing after the, after the, the shows. And like, I was like, Oh, what is all this? You know? And, um, I remember just like that. I, I, I was slowly getting, you know, I think I had just played my Led Zeppelin, uh, Black Sabbath records, like just enough to the point where I was ready for something else. You know, it was like, the, the grunge stuff was cool. I thought it was cool that like grunge kind of like almost was like inspired by a lot of classic rock. So I had soaked up all the classic rock and I was just like, you know, I was a sponge. I just wanted more and more and more. And then, you know, once, once you, once you find minor threat, it just kind of like everything changes from that point, you know? Right. And, yeah. uh, See, like everything it was just I like, do, everything I yeah. do is gone. Yeah. And, uh, ironically the ween thing my i wound up becoming really really um tight with my my art teacher in high school later down the road because i knew ween and it, because ween uh dean was her husband <laughs> which is crazy because because uh, ween was from this area they're from new hope uh so it was like it was just very strange which like that art teacher taught me a lot about art so it was just very strange how those two things specifically from that one girl, um, Erica Boyce, if you're out there, thank you. Right. <laughs> it's, so, it's so rad that, yeah, yeah. It's just, you, you never know where those, those random things will take you. Yeah. Um, so, and then as you started to, you know, go in high school and start to develop more of, you know, yourself and figure out who you were in the world, um, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Were you focused on, on school or were you more attracted? Obviously music was kind of consuming you at that point. Yeah. Music by high school, music was huge. Um, I, you know, I think my first bands happened in middle school, like when I was pretty young, probably like a year after that Pearl Jam incident, but they weren't really, you know, it was just like me and a couple kids who also liked grunge music, like playing like weird versions of that. And like, I think a lot of them were, happened to be Jewish. So we wound up playing a lot of bar mitzvahs that year. Shut the but, fuck up. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Dude. Oh, totally. I didn't know, like, because I mean, usually you hear about the sort of you know whatever junior high, high school talent show, but so you get you were doing that like bar mitzvah circuit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I the way I in my mind, I don't think was the reality. I think re- realistically, it was like okay, like you guys can get up here and play a couple songs, and like we did, but like it, I don't think we were like we definitely weren't the band for the bar mitzvah. I, at least not that I can remember, <laughs> but, but that's, what's funny. You know, I, I think about those early times of like my first couple of bands and even the bands after that, that we were really like focused on writing original music. Uh, I can't remember a single song of it. And when I think about how many songs we had and how many notebooks filled with lyrics, and cause I was just singing at that point. Like I was mm-hmm. just the singer and I, can't even think about having a moment of anxiety over anything it was just like so easy and so fun and nothing like there was just never a moment where i was like oh that isn't good enough or that isn't this it was like you could turn anything into this fun rad song and uh i'm sure it was absolute dog shit if you listen to it now but like at the totally. time it didn't matter yeah no I, I really like that that description where you didn't have um you, you know you're not you're at that weird age where you're not overly self-conscious, but and like you yeah. said, everything's fun and you're just putting it out there because like, you're like, well, Hey, I'm, I got my friends and we're doing this. Yeah. Did and you it, have it a, was so pure, you know? Right. Right. 
Did you have a name for the project? Oh, my God. Uh, the first one I really think about in that way uh, was called Nascent. Okay. <laughs> so, like, it's just such a young band name. Like, you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just looking up. We're obviously throwing darts at a dictionary. Like, that's what's happening. Totally. And um, I, I feel like there was probably, like, three or four bands like that uh, in that era that we were all that kind of stuff. Just, like, we were all, like, you know, very... It's very grungy sounding, but very like uh, I don't even know how to describe it, man. I mean, like we would we would get into uh, like Dinosaur Junior and stuff like that, and then try to just kind of like I definitely remember trying to sound like Dinosaur Junior a lot, like uh, guitar wise, and even um, you know not, not so much the really low voice stuff, but the his more falsetto stuff. I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. You had that that experience. So you were just you were just solely focused, like as you started to, you know, like you said, going to high school and everything. Like just basically, the band life was was the life that you wanted to lead. Um, you know, I think I think it went in waves. It came first early, and then I kind of think I gave it up for a bit there because I became like I was kind of lost there for a bit. Hung out with some kids that were just like really into drugs and really into just uh, like skateboarding and just being you know, not what, you know, you're supposed to do like that. It was just basically the kind of kids I was hanging out with for a few years. And I think, um, I think ironically, uh, what kind of turned me around was taking LSD, um, which is like really funny that, you know, taking such a mind altering drug would like shoot me back in a more positive direction, but it did really wake me up and, I think I, I I mean, the way I think about it now, like my personality was pretty profoundly changed after that first experience with that, which was like, you know, like 10th grade or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, just very, oh shit. No, actually the first time I took acid was eighth grade and (laughs) it was like this two year transition of, of changing into a, a more, I think quiet, more positive, like not trying to get in trouble and very, I, that's when I really started seeking out like knowledge and books and, and just in general, like more, um, thought provoking material all across the board. And, um, you know, I think later in high school, I was even like trying to find a niche to fit into and I fell into like journalism and like the newspaper and stuff. And, I was still like obsessed with music at this time. I was always obsessed with listening to music, but I think for a little bit there, I almost kind of like gave up the ghost with like trying to be in bands and stuff. But, um, that's when I got into, that's when I found like converge and all that, that whole underground scene that was really just, uh, very empowering. And it was really kind of exploding in our, in, in our area. Like, um, all these like DIY shows and like Stalag 13 in Philly and the kill time, these very, very underground, like, like, you know, basically like hollowed out shitty apartments in West Philly that they were putting on shows for like five bucks. And, uh, that just like, I would, I would go to those shows and then for journalism, I would go to like the big concerts and cover them like, and write about them or whatever. But I was trying to always trying to figure out like, how could I like write about boy sets fire? Like, how could I write about this? You know, like, cause that was really my obsession. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's, I'm no, rambling that's, at this point. 
No, 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 no. Well, I see the lineage of what you're talking about. It's just funny that obviously yeah. the, 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 the ping pong evolution in regards to, yeah. So I, I tripped on acid and I took LSD and then that set me in the positive direction, like you said. Because like typically, yeah. you know, you, the, you hear the stories of people going the other way, when, especially at a young age where they're not, you know, their brains are obviously not ready to handle something yeah. so profound as that, that, that experience. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, and I, I've thought about it a lot um, over the years because, you know, I almost for a long time didn't ever want to really talk about my drug use and and like things of that nature, especially hallucinogenics, because I do feel like they can be very dangerous for some people, and especially if you have like mental health issues in your in your family, and um, you know, I've definitely seen some horror stories happen, but like I guess for me the 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 sad thing is that for me, um, you know, it was completely the opposite and very, uh, you know, hallucinogenics really opened me up and, um, made me kind of realize the, the, the fragility of life and how like you can really make your own reality in a lot of ways. Um, as far as just committing to ideas and, um, you know, working hard and being able to live, um, like with small means, you know, um, I think that's all the kind of stuff that I think, uh, I could have learned that on my own, but for whatever reason, um, doing acid kind of like ripped everything away, like all like the silly, like brands of clothing and all the stuff that just kind of seemed like, um, so important for a while there to the kids in school and, all that stuff just kind of melted away and I could kind of just see that like life was way bigger than all this stuff. And, um, yeah, that, that had a huge influence on me. No, it's right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's awesome because it's, yeah, you never know how a person is going to arrive at that, you know, thinking greater than themselves sort of scenario. And it's like, sometimes it does take these really, you know, influential moments, whether it is, you know, drug induced or otherwise absolutely in, in near death experience, like all these things can happen to a person, but it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's fortunate that you were obviously able to, you know, wrangle that and use it in a positive manner. Um, totally. The uh, and so then, when you when you started playing in this day forward, was that basically after high school? That was right at the end. Um, okay. I I met Mike Shaw when he was a senior, and I was a junior, and um, you know, I basically met him and Mike Golan uh, the same time. They were in my gym class, and we were both. We were both wearing like hardcore band shirts, you know, in gym class. And I remember <laughs> Golan always tells me the stories of like how like him, him and Shaw used to like, like talk about me. Like, who's that asshole? Like they would kind of like make fun <laughs> of me. Like, who's that dickhead in the chokehold shirt? Like, like right. what the hell is his problem? Like, it was kind of like, I don't know. It was just, but it's funny because what we were probably like, the smallest percentile of like the high school that would listen to any of those bands. It was obviously, it should have been, we should have been amazed that the other ones were listening to what we were listening to. But for whatever reason, our first inclination was like, Oh, that's obviously my arch enemy over there. You know, but uh, to be standoffish with one another. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, I I don't think Shaw ever played a part in that because he's just like a jokester and didn't really ever care. But for whatever reason, um, with very little effort, we became very good friends. I think we just like wound up becoming, we were in the same group at some point. And then it just was like, you know, once you 
connect over over that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, well, we should probably hang out. And then they were like, yeah, like we're thinking about starting a like a band, like like a band like Converge or something like that. And I was like, whoa, I want to be in a band like that. And they were like, well, we kind of have everything covered. We just need a drummer. And I was like, hmm. I was like, well, I have a drum set and I played snare drum in in elementary school. So uh, I guess <laughs> so I could I'm try. Good. Right. Yeah. You know, so I basically faked my way through it and just kind of like taught myself drums, like to start playing with those guys. That's, that's what I love. It, it, usually a lot of those bands, like obviously forming around that time, were totally just out of necessity in regards to the instrument played where it's just like, absolutely, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, Nick, who plays obviously in Circa, like he didn't play bass but we were just like <laughs> hey hey nick do you want to join taken like do you you can you you know six strings you can play four <laughs> it's like yeah. so, many, so many people just just exactly. fall into it like that yeah it's beautiful um and you always you always struck me too like with the um i guess when when the state forward obviously started to you know tour more and become more uh known outside of your area um it seems yeah. like you and vadim were kind of the the two-headed uh beast in regards to handling sort of the business of it because you were always very you know vadim was maybe executing booking shows alongside yeah. of you but then you guys kind of you know worked together in regards to that was that a role that you i guess kind of took to uh initially because you were interested in it or was it something that kind of just like fell on you Oh my gosh. Yeah. Totally. All just, it, it, you know, in my head, it's all happenstance and just whatever was necessary, you know? And I think again, um, you know, stuff that my parents had kind of like instilled in me communication wise and, um, just, uh, thinking wise, like enabled me to kind of, uh, just be a communicator for the band. Um, I didn't mind it. You know, I didn't mind like if we needed to ask somebody for something, I, I wouldn't mind being that person. Or like if I somehow struck up a conversation with somebody who ran a record label, I wouldn't, you know, be shy about saying like, Hey, you know, we, we kind of would love to do something with you. Like, you know, how about you give us a shot? Like, you know, and, or like it was someone was like, Oh, I know somebody that records bands in his garage. Like, you know, I would go that extra step of trying to track that person down and getting that number and then calling that person and booking that. And, you know, it just, it wasn't necessarily that it was my duty, but I'm, I'm not sure that anyone else would have done it, but I certainly didn't mind doing it, you know, and, uh, it was exciting to me, all of it. This episode of the show is brought to you by Loot Crate. You heard me at the very beginning of the show talk about Loot Crate, and it's amazing because they've come on as a continual sponsor of the show, which means they love independent music and culture. And so let me explain a little bit more about what they do in order to get you just ready to plop down your hard-earned cash for some amazing stuff. So basically if you're like into geek, gamer culture, pop culture stuff, this is Absolutely essential for you. So for less than 20 bucks a month, you get six to eight items of gamer and pop culture licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, and unique one-of-a-kind items that you will never find anywhere else. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com backslash words and enter the code words to save $3 off any new subscription. I Essentially, I am giving you money. That's, that's basically what I'm doing. So I'm going to read a little ad text here to kind of get you, get you hyped up and get you in that mind frame of what they're servicing you this month. So, not that long ago, and depending on where you live, not so far away, 
Loot Crate blasted off into a voyage across the galaxy, searching for the far reaches of space and to find universally awesome gear. Using December Star Wars, The Force Awakens loot as the launch pad, we landed on some equally cosmic items from Halo 5 and more, with an exclusive Funko Pop and exclusive shirt in this month's crate. This is the loot you're looking for. So, like I said, that was that was their ad text, and I, I wanted to read it to get you in that exciting mind frame. I mean, you're talking about huge properties, limited edition stuff. It's great. So, basically, it's like, you, you know, your best friend, the, the guy or girl that's sitting next to you that's probably listening to this show. It's basically them being like, I know exactly what you want. I'm going to send you this thing once a month, and you're going to open the box, and it's going to be full of goodies, and you're going to... Just be so stoked on life when you open this box full of amazing stuff. So you have until the 19th of this month at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, it's over. It's done. You're never going to get that box or those items ever again. So go to lootcrate.com backslash words. Enter the code words to save $3 off your new subscription today. Do it. It helps support the show. And you'll get some rad stuff in return. Thanks, Loot Crate. Okay, I promise. This is the last interruption before we get back into our discussion with Colin. But this is a very good interruption because what I'm going to give you is rad stuff. So how, how am I going to do that? There is something called Audible. So, you know, you're busy. You've got so much stuff going on. You're driving all over the place. You're working full time. Maybe you've got some kids. Maybe you've got some extracurricular activities. There's so much stuff you have to do that by the time you get around to being like, Hey, I want to read this new awesome book that came out. Or, hey, I want to revisit one of my old favorite classics. You've got no time to do it. Or you do it like two minutes before you go to bed and fall asleep after reading a page. Fret no more. Audible is the world's leading provider for audiobooks, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers with over 180,000 audio programs. It's unbelievable. Their app is free, and it works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen to it on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. Did you even know there was 500 MP3 players? Unbelievable. And unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you yourself own your books, so you can access them at any time, anywhere, right from your smartphone. And Audible, they're, they're just such great people because what they have is they have the great listen guarantee. If you decide that the book that you chose you didn't like, return it. No worries. No questions asked. You can exchange any book for another title. It's amazing. My wife is crazy because she reads books, and even if she doesn't like the book, she still tries to finish it. I promise you if I were like, hey, you know, if you listen to this on Audible, you can just return it like halfway through it if you think it stinks. And no questions asked, I'll give you the new one and of whatever you want. She would probably take me up on that offer. I have to recommend one of my favorite titles that I personally I listened to maybe about a year or so ago, Ready Player One. I read the book, and I heard that the audiobook was an even better experience, so I dove right in. It's narrated by Will Wheaton, and it's, it's probably one of my favorite books of all time. It's an amazing sci-fi video game nostalgia trip that will have you engaged from minute one of listening to the audio. So, Ready Player One. The author is Ernest Klein, and it's narrated by Will Wheaton. You know, Star Trek Next Generation, he's, he's a dude that's been around. You'll recognize his voice. So, and just for the listeners of this show, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership. 
Go to audible.com backslash 100 words today to start your free trial. Again, please show your support for the show and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com backslash 100 words. Do it up. Get smart. Read books. Now here's Colin. You definitely seemed like if there, if I were to just as an outside observer, it seemed like there was, um, you know, you, you kind of were, for lack of a better term, more of a big picture where it's like you would be, like yeah. you said, you would be talking to the record labels and stuff. And, you know, Vadim would also do that as well, but sure. he, would be, he would be executing kind of the more, um, uh, you know, he would know the promoters where you would know the record labels. Like it seemed like that yeah. was kind of, you know. The, he, the, he loved doing the, the day-to-day stuff. Like he really was very, he was so good at, doing the booking stuff and communicate. There's just so, so much tedious stuff that had to go into booking those as, as you would know. And like, it's very, you know, time consuming, but like, again, like he never minded doing that. He was really into doing that. And, um, I think he, he even liked nerding out on like, you know, distance between shows and looking at maps and like all that stuff, um, trying to plan out, you know, and then you know how, how much friendship means to Vadim. So like being able to plan out um, a visit with friends in one place and knowing that you'll get to see these other people on the next day. And, you know, it's just like planning a vacation, but in the same sense that you're like, it started to slowly become, because for, you know, in the beginning, um, and I'm sure this was like this for Taken, like it kind of was a vacation that we were, you know, we were all working real jobs to save up money to go tour because we just wanted to tour, not to make mm-hmm. money, like not right. to, not to be rock stars. Like it was like, this is, we just want to go, we, we just want to go conquer the country and have fun and like just yeah. destroy little YMCA halls or whoever will let us play. Like, <laughs> right. Totally. You know? it, did, it didn't matter. No. Um, but the, uh, the the thing that I also found so, um, I guess, awesome about your band was the fact that it was like, you know, because you guys, um, I mean, you guys didn't fit in with anybody. Like, no. <laughs> what you guys did was so, I guess, left of center of what was, um, there's elements of it that were obviously rooted, like you said, in the sort of, you know, hardcore and punk and the metallic hardcore that you were influenced by. But then it was just this weird, you know, amalgamation of, of melody and weird time structures. Um, yeah. And so it was... Uh, it was one of those things where it seemed like the farther you guys got into it, the more you kind of pushed into it, you know, you like leaned yes. into it where it's like, okay, we're not this band. So we're going to continue yeah. to like go that direction. Is it, is that accurate? I, I think so. Um, you know, I think, I think in the beginning it was just, it was just fun to, to, to see that we could, you know, I think at least for me, like my experience being in bands were always in these very song structure, uh, you know, melodic, you know, rock songs, you know. So to go into this band that literally was just writing these these uh, epic, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G kind of songs, linear, no, no repetition songs, uh, was just so fun in the beginning that I didn't care what it sounded like. And then eventually, you know, I think when, when we signed a eulogy, we still, it was just so innocent, you know, like transient effects was so pure. It was just totally like, I mean, we recorded that in like three days, you know? And like, I think, uh, just thinking back about the amount of thought and things that went into it was just, 
so little just so much like it was just so based on like vibe and like oh yeah we like this we like this okay remember this like oh, that sounds cool like yeah whatever and then mike and i would just hone in on, on the lyrics together and and be like okay like uh again i feel like so much of that stuff is like um i can't remember feeling anxiety or pressure or or anything like that or writer's block it was all just exciting and fun and um even as that band and as we as we started getting like i guess i wouldn't say we got popular but in our minds it was like oh my god like when they told us like a certain amount of like albums had shipped like our minds exploded like because we couldn't wrap our heads around like the idea of ten thousand cds being out there was like that's insane we're like so huge what are you talking about you like like, (laughs) totally are you kidding me um so yeah i think by the time we made the cairo cp i think there was starting to become artistry and there was like a thought of like of evolving and changing and and like um at that point mike really was interested in in singing too you know and obviously bands like uh thursday and and cave-in and uh, Poison the Well, like there was just a lot of bands influencing our mindset at that point. And then, of course, the bands like Deftones, who were just always there, and, um, you know, Quicksand and all that stuff. It started seeping in Tool, like all those bands kind of like we started leaning a little bit more to like the alternative, like almost post hardcore stuff, because I think that was where we were always influentially. And, you know, um, and I think also, obviously, just beating the road on the U.S. over and over again, playing all these different cities and hearing the same riff over and over again. You're just like, oh, God, not that again. Right. Just like eventually that, which I think is so poignant, you know, like you you don't understand that something is beat to death um, at, at that in that time era, you don't understand that something is, is bad until you go out on tour and you hear it in every city done horribly a ton of times. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's cliche. That's crappy. I don't want to do that anymore. Like, right. we want to try something else. It's true. It's true. It definitely gets the, – the mirror gets reflected right back to you where it's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, and another uh, thing, just to think about that whole acid experience, like that, I think the kind of thinking I was getting immediately was if an alien spaceship came down, how would I explain to them that my band is different than that crappy band playing that crappy riff right now? I don't think I could. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're like, I can't, I don't, I don't have 20 minutes to explain the nuance of what it is that we're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nuance is just completely irrelevant when you're in that situation and explaining it to the aliens. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then uh, obviously, you know, the, uh, the state forward just disbanded. And then obviously the, uh, you know, you guys started to put together Circa. I, I, I don't need to uh, recount the history there. Um, but one of my favorite, one of my favorite things that I've heard you express on, on either multiple interviews or I've read it. And then obviously knowing you guys as individuals where you yeah. know, the, there's, Obviously, there's Anthony, and then there's the rest of the guys. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the the notion of uh, you know uh, just this image of all four of you, you know, uh, standing together after a show, and then having a fan come up to you and just like literally not give 
uh, not care about you at all as a human being and just be like, yeah, where's Anthony? Like, where, where, yeah. where is he? Can you point, point in the right direction? Um, I knew that obviously there was going to be some of that leading into, you know, the band's inception and obviously sure. your first EP and record. Um, was it, I guess, it, was it a learning curve that you had to be like, oh yeah, so that's like, um, that's, that's the way that, that things are. Not like you were looking for that sort of, you know, credit, so to speak, because, you know, you couldn't meet four people who could care less about being in the front of a band. But, yeah. Um, so, I, I, I don't know. I just find it a very interesting dynamic because, all you know, in any other band, if there was one other person that, like, wanted any sort of spotlight, this combination wouldn't work, you know? And so that's right. why I think it's, it's just an interesting uh, thread I wanted to pull on. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... I think it's funny. I mean, I guess like, I think it really was again, like just that, that, that battleground of punk rock and hardcore and just really knowing that experience and which I think, um, you know, this day forward's trajectory was very humbling in a lot of ways. And by the time circus started, I think you're just looking at, um, Anthony included like five really humble individuals. And at that point, um, even when Anthony did start to get, you know, more and more attention in that way, you know, from day one, we wanted to be a rock band and we wanted to be, um, a band that had that kind of front man and that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, personality. And, you know, I think, I think, uh, Anthony just is who he is and he, he performs the way he performs and, and he attracts the way he attracts and that, you know, there's just a certain, um, natural essence that is happening in that whole situation that you'd kind of have to be a total dickhead to, to, to really like obsess over it and get upset about it because you really just can't, there's nothing you can do. There's no, there's no control over that. And, when it comes down to it, like you said, the, the other four of us are, you know, we're not even equipped to handle that kind of attention. Like, (laughs) you know, it just really, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty awkward people. Like I think even Brendan who is, is pretty, he's pretty, uh, good socially. And I think even, even over the years has like kind of, um, wound up, you know, getting a bunch of fanfare, uh, just as far as like being recognizable and, and like, yeah, like, I don't know. I think all of us are just kind of fine with however we are. And even like to, to like Steve is somebody who really like almost runs from it. He doesn't want it at all. Like he's just <laughs> right. really not looking for that kind of attention. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just works. I mean, I think in general, even at our height, which is pretty much now, I mean, like there's not a lot of ego in the band, um, in our, in our decisions and our, in our, um, creative sessions. There's just not, there's a pretty big, uh, lack of ego, which I think is very, very, um, due to all of us coming from that world and knowing that it's really don't, don't kid yourself. Like you're just another dude playing music and we're lucky and that's the way we all look at it. And even Anthony, who has, you know, a bajillion million followers on whatever platform you want to pick. I mean, he for 
for as popular and loved as he is, you know, he's an extremely humble, uh, normal person who can get overwhelmed just like anybody else. And like, ultimately I just think like we all look at it with gratitude and, and maybe even like there's like a, a grain of salt aspect of like, you know, this isn't, this isn't why we do this, you know? Right. The, the other shoe could drop at any point. So we're fine. Absolutely. We're here right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, li- I like that attitude. Um, yeah. The, uh, and the circuit, like you said, I mean, obviously you guys always intended to, uh, you know, be a rock band and not really specifically aligning yourselves to one scene or anything like that. Um, sure. And you constantly um, are challenging Every uh, every record you keep pushing your fan base to be like, all right, you gonna guys, you guys gonna follow us here? You guys gonna follow us yeah. here? Um, yeah. Do you, uh, you know? I know this is this is kind of a um, maybe a convoluted question, but it's like, do you guys feel like you you push through that well, where you guys were able to obviously still continue to bring people along, um, or were there moments where it was like? You know, obviously, say when you were on the major, and obviously uh, they yeah. wanted you guys to exist in this sort of, um, you know, weird like, oh yeah, maybe you guys could write something that's a little hookier, you know, like, <laughs> like be, yeah. be less be less challenging. Um, were, were, there, were, there, were there those moments of, of like, well, I guess maybe we could do that in some respects because obviously you're you could do that from a songwriting perspective, but um, sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I, um, I, I realize it's a convoluted question, but it's just kind of like a, a that thought process where it's just like, oh, yeah, do we uh, do we continue to, you know, challenge our, our fan base? Like, obviously, that's the decision sure. you've made. But um, I yeah. think um, no, I think it's a great question. And, and it, I think it's hard. It's hard to even like pinpoint um, what what choices are actually made and what just were like natural things. And um, when I think back to like, like the example you gave when we were on Atlantic and stuff, um, the ironic part is that I think a lot of, a lot of the stuff was, um, you know, I think, I think they knew they were very sensitive to where we were coming from, from day one, because they knew, you know, it wasn't an easy thing to get us on the label by any means, because, you know, we we were talking to like ten different labels when, at that point, and it, it was a bit of a of a of a slugfest at that point um, between a few different labels, and they knew what we wanted, and and it it was very much so to have creative control. You know, like um, there were even labels that were off, offering more money and less control, and just stuff like you know we really kind of. Um, we kind of like just drove it home that like we're looking for a home. We we're looking for a label to accept us as who we are and to help us grow. Because at that point, you know, we were not by any means done growing and we knew that, but we didn't know in what direction we were going to go. And we wanted whoever we were going to work with to kind of support that, which, whichever way it went. Um, and, uh, you know, to their credit, I really feel like Atlantic, put very little pressure on us um you know they they liked being involved um to a certain extent as far as like when we were making the record they liked you know being our a and r guys loved being involved in the conversations of which songs would stay on which songs would go off and that kind of stuff but um at the end of the day it was always our decision and even before that when we were in the writing process i mean i remember very specifically them coming to visit us and asking 
like going around and asking everyone how they felt. And I remember specifically saying that I felt like we didn't even have one song. And at that point we had like 12. Um, and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and like, I remember the whole room, like just kind of like whipped their head around and looked at me and like, they wanted to kill me. Um, but I was just being honest because at that point, you know, as I was saying earlier with all those other examples, like not feeling that anxiety, not feeling that like kind of creative, like ponderance, like that was not the case in that time, you know, in my head, I was very much so thinking and almost like overthinking everything. And, um, I really was looking, um, you know, I wanted us to write the best record of our career. I wanted to write like something that was challenging and different. And, um, I wanted to become better songwriters and I think everyone wanted to, um, I think I just had like, I don't know, maybe I was just a bit of an asshole. I don't even know how to really uh, describe it. I just remember feeling like we needed to start over and we actually, in fact, kind of did wind up starting over. And I think we just wrote, I mean, all of us love blue sky noise. Um, but I, especially like really when I think about just the, the progress that we made on that album songwriting wise, I think is just so crucial to the rest of our career because we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't have known otherwise. And we would have always been kind of like trying to like take more steps in that direction. And I think the fact that we kind of leaped to this more, a little like more advanced songwriting uh, level at that point, we were able to then go more difficult and more strange earlier, you know, like right immediately after that, you know, we opened a record with like a seven and a half minute song, you know, and, it was just, I think we had to make that record in order to kind of rebel against it the next time, you know? Right, right. Yeah, no, it's um, true. You, ha you had to make that step in order to, um, yeah, continue to progress. Otherwise, you would just kind of get locked into what you already had been doing. Yeah, or we would just always have been trying to progress to that point. Just it would have taken a lot more time. Um, but I think, you know, now it's like, I don't know. It, it's just so funny how when a, a new record, especially during that time frame, was coming out, you know, we projected all these things onto how the audience was going to perceive it and how they're going to take it and whatever. And like, oh, this is the first on a, on a major and all that stuff. The funny thing is, is like the only people that actually gave a shit what label we were on were like the like 10 people that all came from the hardcore scene and the punk rock scene. You're like, right, everyone right. else is like, what's the record label? Like, no right. one even like knows. Like, they're just like, whatever. Like, okay, so when's your album coming out? Like, show totally. me where the pre order link is. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah, where do I sign um, up? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. so I don't know. This like impending backlash that we were like, you know, we didn't give much thought to it, but like, we'd have talks about it once in a while, just like, uh, well, I guess this is our last record. Like no one's going to like us after selling our souls. And, um, you know, obviously yeah. kidding, but I mean, we, yeah. we never, we never knew exactly what was going to happen. And then just, I remember our first show back from that record, just like the loudest sing along of our entire career to get out and being like, Oh, well they like it. Yeah. Oh, we're okay. Yeah. We're yeah. Not, we're not in a bad place. Um, I'm good. The, the the last two things I would hit on were more specifically geared towards your personal life was the um the uh you know you you seem to build um 
a community around your art because like obviously you've been you know you've been an artistic person for the duration of your life as far as the expression through your music uh, but then obviously also in you know graphic design and all the other things that you've done over over time um but then it seems now especially over the past couple of years you're really trying to um you know i guess bridge that gap between the consumer of an art and then obviously the artist the, the creator in and of itself um sure it just seems um yeah, I don't know. It seems interesting. Basically, it seems like you're 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 developing a fan base for your own art in a similar way that you would obviously do for a band. Like, I don't know if that makes sense, yes. but it's like you're having that direct communication with with people. Um, whereas I know a lot of people view art as being like this. Oh, it's this thing I look at a wall on a wall, and then that's kind mm-hmm. of the end of the di- the discussion. So um, yeah, I don't know. Is is that kind of the approach you're you're trying to build more of a community? I guess. I think. Uh... I mean, I think that's so funny that you say that. I mean, I think I'm always learning. I'm, I'm learning a lot through other people um, about how other people view, you know, what I'm doing. Because I, a lot of the times I don't know what I'm doing. and I'm just kind of trying to follow intuition. Intuition, But ultimately, I'm just really trying to um, grow as an artist and learn and become better. And, um, you know, ever since I made the decision years ago to start sharing my, my visual work, um, you know, that was just kind of a commitment to like show the process, show like show the awkward stages, let it let it change, let like let old stuff fall away, like introduce new stuff proudly, like don't worry about it and just kind of keep moving and ultimately like just let that side of myself um grow its own little little fan base or community as you put it. Like, yeah, totally. And um I have had epiphanies lately where it it really is like me going like, Oh wow. Like I, I thought I was ready for this experience uh, a few years ago in painting. Um, but like ultimately now I I will compare that to being in, you know, uh, I'm only like midway through this day forward's career as far as my painting goes, you know, um, I haven't even, not even in the demos of circa phase yet, you know, um, (laughs) which is, which is just interesting because I I really can see so many parallels to it and how you, you climb a mountain and then you realize it was just a hill and there's a whole another huge mountain right ahead of you. And you're like, Oh, okay. Got to keep going. And, uh, um, I think, um, yeah, it's, a like visual art, especially painting and fine art, like going into that world has been an insane experience and very trying. Um, some of it is like, I, some of it I would say is almost, uh, you know, more difficult and, and excruciating, uh, when it's at its lows because you're, you know, it's solitary and it's not, you don't have like four other guys to kind of commiserate with when shit sucks. You know, you're just, um, you're just alone and, and you're dealing with that. And, um, ultimately, you know, I'm an outsider to that world, uh, big time, you know, I'm, I'm becoming more of an insider because I'm getting experience, but, um, you know, I'm an outsider in the way that this day forward was very much so like a group of outsiders and not knowing what the hell we were doing or where we belonged and what was okay and what wasn't. And I think, uh, as I get older, I start to embrace that ideology more of like, it's okay to, to not 
know what's right in a, in an industry or in a profession or in a scene or whatever. And it's okay to like kind of make it up as you go. And half the time you find that there's a lot of other people just kind of looking for somebody to do that because they're sick of something else. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome because it's, it's great to see people in bands because obviously like your identity is so wrapped up with the band that you play in. And it's like Mm -hmm. for you to be able to establish things outside of the context of whatever it is you are creating on one hand. Um, it's like, well, no, I'm, I'm more than just that, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think for me, you know, it's, it's a, it's just, uh, like a, a beast with many heads or whatever the saying is. I mean, it's one of those things where, sure, it's it's really nice to have this like other kind of side career um, when, when the going's good. It's like you sell out of a print run or something and you're like, wow, this is so cool. I'm so lucky to have this. This is amazing. And then there's other times where, you know, like for instance, recently just did like a, uh, another solo show. Um, in, in San Jose and it, it was about, um, you know, 25 new paintings. And, uh, you know, I, it was planned for about 11 months or so in advance, but I also had another split solo show that happened in, in that time. And then, uh, Circa was touring about like seven months out of that 11 months, you know, so it was very, very busy. And then I'm home and wound up just kind of isolating for, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 hours a day, just painting constantly preparing for this show and you're doing it day after day. And you realize like, okay, like this, this isn't like a circus show where we have a guarantee, you know, like there is no guarantee, like there's no guarantee that any of these paintings are going to sell. There's no guarantee that anyone's going to like it. There's no guarantee that anyone's going to come to this opening. Um, so there's a lot of that, self-doubt from the early days that can kind of pop in where like when you're on tour with your first band and you're like i hope somebody shows up you know i hope people show up and um man i am so appreciative when people show up you know and just so appreciative that people uh like my art enough to want to buy it and um that's just very uh you know there's a certain emotional aspect to that that um you know just practice of making art and selling it that I'm just very, very grateful. And I love, I love making work and I love, uh, there's nothing better for me. Like I'm just, I've never been a hoarder of my own stuff. I love getting rid of it. I'll sooner give away something than like hold on to it and hold out for money. Like I just, I love the look on someone's face when they get something that they're stoked about and they put it up in their house. Like that's just so cool. Right. You're like, I would never have expected that. No, (laughs) never in a million years. Um, Obviously, the uh, this is the last thing I'll hit on where the uh, transient lifestyle that you obviously live is uh, it's difficult to maintain relationships. And obviously, I know that that you've you've gone through divorce and I know that other members in the the band have also, uh, you know, gone through that as well. Um, Yeah reflecting on like your experience where is it one of those things where um you know you like basically long and short of it what what do you take away from that you know like what um what sort of uh, lessons did you obviously learn from that that either were directly related to um you know you being in a band or if it was just separate from that and just being like okay that relationship that i was in was 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 not right and it did not fit 
Sure. Um, I think, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, um, I think, I think if you, I think if you go through a divorce and you don't have an answer for what did you learn, then you should probably never get into another relationship because I mean, regardless of whose fault something was or regardless of like any of the, he said, she said, whatever, you know, you have to own that, um, that thing coming to an end. You have to own that whole, um, kind of trajectory. And I don't like to look at it as a failure, but essentially like, you know, your marriage didn't work and you had to end it. And the plan was certainly was not to end it. So, um, you have to kind of come to terms with that. And, you know, so for me, um, you know, I'm just so, I'm so grateful for that experience actually. Uh, you know, that was my first real, um, super traumatic thing to happen to me as an adult and, um, you know, getting, going to, um, therapy and just kind of the whole process of healing from that was just completely life changing, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, uh, a huge aspect of like that relationship just wasn't right. I mean, that, that's without, you know, no doubt. Um, but you know, I will say that, you know, I think no matter what you do for a living, that it, it's going to, it's going to play a role in your relationship. And when you do something as, as odd, uh, as travel many months out of the year on most years and you, you are, you know, I'll even go as far to say as just being a highly creative person, um, someone who's consumed by their own, uh, thoughts in that way. And, uh, kind of just almost always working in your brain. Um, it takes a very specific kind of person to be understanding to that. Um, and it also, you know, not to put it all on her by any means, you know, like I think it's not that she wasn't even understanding of that, but I, I think like it takes, uh, you know, if you're an artist or if you're a creative person in, in a relationship, especially in a marriage and, um, you know, I'm sure Anthony would be able to speak much better than I would as far as like being a father or something like that. Um, you know, you would know, you, you split that up a lot, you know, you really have to, you have to make some changes. You have to make some alterations in how your energy and your attention, um, gets divided. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, I will say, I'll be honest that that's why I'm not a father. That's why I, at, at least to this point so far, I've chosen not to have children because I do, um, I do feel like there's an aspect of me that is a little too selfish. And, um, you know, I, I think that even just the amount of time I spend, you know, split between art and music, sometimes even that's too much for, for my girlfriend who like, you know, and I, and I really have tried to learn my lesson, um, from, from when I was, uh, married before I mean, we had all kinds of other problems, but I will say that like, that's that one of them is definitely that I had a tough time drawing the line and being like, okay, work is over. Like it's time to, you know, give some attention to my, to my other, you know, um, I think, um, I think that, yeah, it's definitely two-sided. You need someone yeah. who who understands. I think trust is huge. 
which that was a big problem in in my past relationship and a and a very non-existent problem um, in my current one. And I think that that says a lot. You know, I mean, if you trust the person you're with and they trust you, especially if you're going to be away a lot, like you know that that can be a very contentious thing for some people. And yeah, yeah, no, it's it's the the thing that. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially from relationships where it's like, you need to, you know, uh, how most of us obviously view the work that we do as work. Um, but then obviously when you apply it, when you apply the creative aspect of it, um, that, you know, somehow a lot of people can't view that as work as well. Cause they're just like, Oh, well, what are you doing? Like you're dicking around your guitar, or you're painting or whatever, exactly. that, whatever your creative pursuit is. But then mm-hmm. ultimately you have to, like you said in your own head to be like, all right, well, the work that I put into the, to my relationship, you know, should be obviously equally as important, if not more important. And like the, absolutely the, cause I always find it always frustrates me where people, um, act like they're in sort of the easiest relationship of all time. They're just like, Oh yeah, it's like a dude, it's, it's like never been a problem. And it's like, well, yeah. I don't even think you're challenging one another. You're not even like yeah. probably talking or communicating. It's like a, a right. good relationship should have that sort of, um, push and pull. Yeah. Like, that that friction that will help you obviously grow as an individual and vice versa. And so I, I just like the yeah. way that you're, I like the way that you frame that where it's just like, yeah, the, the work needs to be what it is, but then you do need to draw the line at, at some point and be like, okay, well, this is where the work ends and the work on my relationship begins or whatever. Right. And, and I will say like, even, even if I had done the majority of the things that I've learned from that, from that past and, and like have kind of made a huge step to change. Um, even if that would have happened, I don't think the relationship would have been saved, but I, but that's just another one of those reasons why I am so thankful for the, for the experience because like it's things that I probably would have never changed otherwise, you know? And so it's very, um, I think it's very important that I kind of keep that in mind and, um, you know, my current partner, like she, she went through a divorce as well. So that's a huge touchstone for us. We both understand that perspective in a very personal way and, um, kind of both played similar roles in our past relationships and, and went through similar things. So, you know, we, we try to really always, you know, cause you don't want to constantly reflect on those experiences, especially the more painful aspects of them. But, I think it's really important to kind of keep them um, at least accessible in your in your memory, so that you can, you know, have a reference of like, oh, ha- has this happened before? Like, have I done this before? Did I react in this way before? Like, how how would I do that now in hindsight? And um, yeah, I mean, just like anything else in in life, I think your your relationships are, you know, they require work and upkeep and at least if you want them to grow in a healthy way, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just the most simple metaphor is that the, your relationship is a plant and it needs to be watered, you know? Yep. No, totally, totally. No, I, and I I appreciate, I I appreciate you laying it all out like that. Cause I, I know it's just one of those things. Like I think a lot of people take just for granted when, you uh you know you you've reached a certain level of success and just like oh you're in a touring band and you're doing it and like everything's awesome and it's just like well like we all go through similar difficulties in our lives and i I just think Mm -hmm. that that it's an important thing like like you said to obviously have learned from it and and be able to apply it to obviously what's your the relationship you're currently in it's great 
Yeah, totally. And, um, and I think it, 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 across the board, you know, all of us, um, have gone through difficult things over the last few years and which is kind of the, the, the essence of getting older and like just going through life, things happen. Um, but you know, in the same way that it made, uh, it made me like want to pay more attention in my future relationships. It really hones in on your friendships, um, and your relationships with family and stuff that maybe have been neglected or, or maybe not, not healthy. And, um, you know, so that was another thing that, you know, people don't immediately think about how something like a divorce would, would really impact your, the way you are with your friends and the way you are with your, with your family. But, you know, a hundred percent had such a huge impact on that. And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, in general, I just think you have to always remember that the people that are important to you, you know, you, you can't just take them for granted and you have to, uh, make sure they know that they're important. And sometimes that means having a difficult conversation or, you know, getting in touch when maybe you're too tired or whatever, like you have to make that effort. It's the same thing with, with like your, your intimate relationships, uh, and your, your creative relationships. It's all kind of like, it all needs upkeep and work. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, it's all, it's all the beauty of being human. That's right. <laughs> well, Colin, I really appreciate you hanging out. This is uh, super fun for me. I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, man. It was a blast. Thanks so much, man. So that's what's up, right? That's literally the first time I've said, so that's what's up. I feel like I need to be a basketball player dunking on somebody and say, that's what's up. But anyways, so that's what's up. But uh, thank you very much to Colin. Thank you very much for the the time that he spent in chatting with me and uh, spreading the awareness of the show in general. So the producer, as always, is Tom Richfield, who I've been leaning a little bit less on recently because I've been slacking. So I've been doing a lot of the editing and all that other fun stuff. So if it doesn't sound up to your standards, that's because of me. Not because of Tom. Put that on me, please. And uh, the guest next week, I'm, I'd like to tease that now, is a gentleman named Mark Palm. He is in a band called Super Crush, but previously played in bands like Black Breath, Go It Alone. Super, super interesting dude, because he does not have a very average outlook on life. It has a very um, distinct uh, voice and pattern that he's kind of gone through his life with. So I can't wait to bring you that conversation. Uh, visit Media for our podcast network. Visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. And until next week, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.